I, I, I apologize ahead of time for me being low energy, but I'm going to do my best. So then good. we have you right where we want you. The thing is, I've responded to so many comments about a black bean video today about beans, black beans. Yeah. That I don't. I'm, I'm exhausted. I mean, that's fame. I hear is exhausting. <laughs> I am Nick Jimenez, and you are listening right now to two podcasts at the same time. Nick keeps trying to start this podcast, and I like to just interrupt. No, no, no. This is what's happening. So (laughs) right now, we are bending time and space to bring you two simultaneous podcasts. You are listening at once to Step Into the Sandbox, hosted by David Verjano, and Pan Kong Podcast, hosted by Chili Cook-Off champion Michael Beltran. Uh, this is we're actually going to call this podcast "Static in the Universe." Static in the Universe, yeah. yes. Yeah. So it's a merger. It's yeah. ju- it's just white noise live right now. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is just a bean fart going out <laughs> wow. into cyberspace. Uh, so I'll I'll give people a little bit of background here uh, so that they understand what's going on because uh, you don't have to walk around. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Walk Nobody right through all this. Nobody watches this fucking shit anyways. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Fuck. So. Uh, David Berjano hosts a podcast called Step Into the Sandbox. It is a part of the Dade family of podcasts at dademag.com. Best podcast on that platform. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is a podcast about the creative process and the figurative, sometimes literal spaces people create for their creative work. Uh, you have had all manner of guests from like, uh, 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 I'm trying to think of what the English word for dramaturgo is, but... You know, people in in the theater arts, uh, designers, photographers, DJs. uh, And then we are also joined by the more reluctant of our two guests, Michael Beltran. Uh, He is, as we noted, uh, a chili cook-off champion. Uh, At least that's what we're told. I haven't seen the blue ribbon yet. And uh, also the host of Pang Kong Podcast, a podcast about food, culture, craft, entrepreneurship, and sometimes other things. Uh, Bunch of bullshit. Unconfirmed. Uh, Mike, are you wearing your gold cap for this? I am. Okay, excellent. So Mike is, for the second consecutive episode, wearing a gold tooth cap. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who are not watching this video If anyone's video interested form. in gold tooth caps, you can find them at Miami Gold Grills on 163rd. Shameless see, plugs early. See my good friend Marvin. He'll hook you up. Some early recommendations. There's actually no one there named Marvin, but I figure like a good just, name just for that guy burst through the door. Marvin. Burst yeah. through the door and say, where's Marvin at? <laughs> uh, so uh, the idea here is that people will be able to access this episode on both podcast feeds. Uh, I figure that there, you know, there's a lot of good overlap here, uh, especially in terms of uh, conversation about creative things. So I didn't really come with much of a plan. Uh, and <laughs> I'm I know, fucking I shocked. Know Mike didn't. That is, I like, know Mike didn't have a plan. Woo! You know, I mean, you're the host here. I just make it happen. There's two hosts now, so there, I yeah, can, yeah, yeah. I could fucking take a back seat and say, "Hey, man, what do you want to do?" I got you. I mean, oh, you want I, that's and that's great. part of why I knew I didn't need a plan because yeah. David comes prepared. Brings, I'm prepared all the time. <laughs> that so is, that is, uh, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna I can, drop it, I can this start thing. with a note when you're talking about the chili cook-off. I remember the first time I went, expecting there to be chili to buy, not knowing it was just like a competition that some people and some uh, judges get a pick from. And I was so fucking pissed because I didn't even like country music at that point. So it was just like going in expecting to get chili and. And in a an event called the Chili Cookoff, that it doesn't make it publicly available to try out the chili. And but was, was there beer? Oh, I don't even know. I, I mean, 
I was like hungover arriving to that. I was like well, not even looking. Best cure for a hangover yeah. is another yeah. drink. True. That is true. Yeah. That is. I mean, that is almost. You're actually fact. right. Wait, is, I'll take a cigar. Oh, um, oh man. But, I love um, one. I told you I had. <laughs> just there you are, just never committing. I understand. I told you I had. No, I, I get it. I get it. Commit to my cigar. <laughs> um. So usually what, what I do to start off the podcast is I come out with, with an icebreaker question, something that either I, I've been asked in the past that I thought was interesting or um, something that I, I thought of right before. But one of these interview questions was, I went into the interview and the guy was like, if we were to go to your trunk right now and open it up, what are three things that you would find? In my trunk? In your trunk right now. Um, a gym bag and my book bag for work. That's pretty. Those are the only two things currently in my trunk. So you usually keep it pretty clean. Yes. Nice. I like keeping things pretty pretty clean. I don't like things in my vehicle at all ever. Um, yeah. That's uh, you know that I think that's relatively new. In my younger years, it was a little more of like I lived I lived out of my car. You know, like back when I had to wear like chef whites and like oh, chef true. shoes, and I I wasn't able to make my own uniform and wear chucks and. A t-shirt to work every day sure. um life was a little bit different you know backup chef jacket you know my i you have your non non uh non-slip shoes and you have another pair of non-slip shoes just in case those break and but now it's a little different because i have an office and shit sure. in the office so yeah not so exciting in my trunk what about <laughs> your trunk what's in your trunk i am usually care right now you'd find like a box full of books that i've never read it was at one of these last events i was given these extra books that were being given out by the speaker who's just nice. sitting in my trunk there That's nice. uh i have a bag full of different you know, gym clothes for sure like whether it's like jump rope or a bunch of other stuff and uh, jumper cables i mean there's a bunch of other shit too but <laughs> the jumper cables are in there as well all right well that's a good icebreaker question what's the most interesting thing anyone's ever said I was hoping someone would say bodies, but that's, that's yeah. an aggressive move, and yeah, we're hoping sure. that nobody says that. <laughs> no, okay. But um, no, actually, I didn't know. I was like, "Damn, I wish I was a fly on the water." These other interviewees to see what what they answered, but I always wanted to ask other people to see what what they had. First. Yeah, yeah. Nothing interesting for me. The only, the only one that that I thought of um, recently, I was like, people. I think people have a very vivid nostalgic memory of. The kinds of TV shows they watched after school, specifically like after middle school or high school. Yeah. Did you have any specific ones that were just... Of course. Yeah. A Different World, Full House, Step by Step, fucking... Um, I mean, this is after school. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those, you know, Zach Morris and them. And them. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was Will Smith's uh, uncle's name? Uncle Phil. Uncle Phil. Uncle Phil. Fresh Prince. You know, like those... I, those are like my vivid memories, uh, I, and I still, I wish that TV was as entertaining as it used yeah, to be, because no, it it's definitely isn't. not anymore. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what, what about you? How old are you? I'm 30. You're 30, so we're around the same time. Yeah, I mean, what did you watch after school? Usually it was like TRL. Uh, what, what is that? TRO was Total Request Alive with... Uh, oh, with Carson Daly. Carson Daly. What the fuck happened to that guy? Yeah, he's, he's like on the Today Show now or something. Carson Daly? Yeah. I bet you he looks the same. He I looks feel like the that's same, the guy that got a chunkier. bunch of like plastic surgery and he's been like stuck in time for he like really 25 is. years. He's just a little heavier and that's it. Oh, he's yeah? looks the same. Yeah, yeah. he's got to hit the gym. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. It was like TRL and all those like road rules. 
and Real World and all those like stupid uh, reality TV shows that MTV had. It was like on the turn when they went. Were those, going. those shows destroyed television. They really did. Well, they, they destroyed, destroyed TV. They, like all the reality shows, they destroyed television because they destroyed creativity. Because now you're just like you're like playing um, what is a puppet master. So tell me about your podcast, all about creativity, um, the creative process. You know, like, and I've said it a million times, for me, the creative process is not something that I plan or it's not like something that I ever think uh, today I need to be creative or, you know, today I need to come up with a menu. I think that things, at least food-wise, because food and so many other mediums are like very, like, emotion-based. Like, everything for me is like my emotions at the moment um, when it comes to food. Uh, Like, that is where my creativity stems from. And... A lot of times people ask me like, well, you know, uh, and I'll have an idea and I'll put it together or whatever. Like, oh, you know, uh, last time you did this, like, did it work? And I'm like, well, I've never done this before. And for me, I'd say that a lot of times the shit doesn't work. But, you know, I'd much rather try and know that I tried and say that I failed at something that didn't work or did work. Because for me, that's really like the the... The gambling part of food is trying things that either people are too hesitant to do or, you know, that's not like the status quo. Like people like to just stick with like the tuna tartare with wasabi aioli and shit like that. You know, it's okay to think outside of that realm and to move. Um, to, to, you all right, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> to move like past that. So like I think when I think about creativity and creation of whatever it may be, whether it be art or music or food, you know, it's organic. It it can't be forced. And as soon as you start to, like, force those things is when you start to, like, hit a wall, you know? Yeah. And I think I agree with that. It's like you don't really train to be creative. The only thing you can try and find are... Maybe the, the, the certain environments and the certain situations that are more conducive to you being creative. You know that like being highly stressed at all times is not the, the best way to be creative. Oh. I, I feel like there's certain things that trigger, uh, you know, certain ideas and certain thoughts that otherwise wouldn't happen. So, and that's a person-to-person basis. That's something that, you know, for you it could be going to the gym. For someone else it could be going for a walk or going to the beach. Uh, travel it could be all these different things it's really about gaining experiences allowing your body to digest it and your mind to then refer back to them over time to really come up with new things yeah I mean you know it's my favorite employee I think he may be my favorite person on property Armando sometimes when he washes dishes he's wearing a scarlet shirt so I know that he's a good time Armando I think you know, and you mentioned like the um, high stress situations, how a lot of people like to be relaxed when they, for a chef, you don't really have that option. I mean, stress is like part of our nature. It's like part of our being. Like, you know, like a lot of times, like the good chefs, a lot of them are high strung or whatever. And listen, you got the Eric repairs of the world that are like super Zen and they're Buddhist and the whole thing. And that's rare. You know, like a lot of us live in kind of like an infinite space of just stress. And it's because the job and depending on the kind of job you have is very stressful. And for me, when I think about creativity or like 
the creative process, a lot of that creative process comes from like uh, an artisan background. You know, you need to be a craftsman first before you could be creative. And this is what I tell a lot of kids too. Hey, D, can you remind Will about my Negroni, please? Thank you. Um, like that, that thing, a lot of kids and younger chefs, they try to create before they know. And I'm the first one to admit that I don't know everything. And that's why I, I'm, there he is. Motherfucker. Hey, do you want, would you like a drink? I'll take, yeah, I'll take a drink. What do you want to drink? Uh, you guys having your drink? I, I, uh, I, yeah. I taste the biscuit. Yeah, Bobby, can good. you make it make one? It easy. Oh, sorry, make I'm going to make it, it double, double up. Okay? Uh, sure, yeah. We'll Whatever. Whoa! Name drop. They're not sponsors, so don't say it. <laughs> oh, and you know, like that, that. I don't. I don't know everything, and I, and I'm the first one to say that. And I think when it comes to food, like the team you surround yourself with, just like a coach, like you need to be able to make sure your menu caters to your team. Like you know, if you have a chef de cuisine that's very strong in something, and you have a pastry chef that's very strong in something, you start to lean your menu that way. And as a, as a creative, like, it's it's tough because since you're in my position, like, you're not there every single day because we have several properties, like, you need to be able to move and stretch yourself out and do all these kind of things and kind of lean that creativity to what they're good at and not just what you're good at because not everyone's going to be good at what you're good at. You know what I'm Absolutely. saying? Absolutely. And, like, but going back to that, like, high-stress situation – I tell a lot of my chefs, you got to learn how to be stressed in the situation and still maneuver around it, you know, and like, okay, like we have this, like, what do I do with that? And we have this, okay, let me come up with a dish for this because we got to make sure we don't lose this product because everything for us is perishable, you know, like it's not like um, uh, there's some incredible artists that can create something and they have to do the sum of one. We have to do the sum of 40 or 50 in a night and then tomorrow it could be gone. Because yeah. that product is gone and you'll never be able to get it again. So, you know, creativity is, I think, for every single profession, it's a little different. But I think the root of it is all the same. And it's like it's uh, it's an internal emotion. It's something that you want to, that moves you. And hopefully it moves someone else. Absolutely. I think that the stress part is interesting because I think another way to frame it is that stress isn't something that is constant in a specific, like, repetitive you know, situation, meaning the things that stress you out at the beginning of a certain job might not stress you out by the fourth, fifth, tenth time you do it because you're already used to it. You've mentally prepared for it. You realize how to handle it and manage it. So I think that through working, the stress becomes either more manageable or non-existent because you've been able to put enough reps and been able to actually like go through the motions to mentally prepare yourself for the next time, not even to enter it with a... With yeah, a I mean, it, you know, for us... I always feel like a, a really good chef has like a like a mental edge, like they hit an edge and they're just kind of like grinding and they're pushing through because there's parts that you're like tired and, you know, you're going from like brunch service to dinner service and, you know, you still got to do pre-shift and you still got to do pre-shift notes and you still got to set up your station and you still got to do this and you got to order fish for the next day and then you got to work service and you got to make sure all the food is nice and then it's like a culmination of things. But once you like uh, learn to deal with that and you learn that that's... Um, it's it's tough you know but like everything that's tough is mental correct you know like it's all a mentality like you have an option to push through it mentally or you could say this shit's gonna fuck me up and i'm gonna crumble under yeah and i think being creative 
with like that back up against the wall because that's how I've always been. Like, you know, like you ask like, oh, we need a menu. I'm like, well, you're not going to get one until I feel like giving you because that's how I work. Like I can't, I can't just materialize good shit out of nowhere. I need to feel something. Something needs to happen. I need to see something. It just like, it's a very interesting space, you know, like, and I think for everyone that creative process is a little different. And for chefs, I mean, I've talked to some chefs that like to sit by the pool and come up with a menu. And I like other ones that like to, you know, I don't know, go through a 14 hour day and then sit in a room with music playing. That's how I do it and come up with some stuff, you know, and that's just for everyone. It's different, you know. And what would you consider the most creative part of your craft or what you do? I know you do a lot of things. Well, I think that it's the hardest part about being a chef is to respect your surroundings. Because in today's world, at least here, it's very easy to say, I want arugula. I'm going to buy arugula from a produce company. That arugula comes from Mexico. It comes in a bag. It lasts you four days, and it's pretty trash. Or say, okay, my farm and homesteads producing papayas, mame, mangoes, starfruit, whatever, this, that, and the next. What can I do with those items and put them on the menu? For a couple of reasons. Economically, for the city as a whole, you're putting money back into your city instead of putting money into some random farm in California or in Mexico or wherever the fuck it is, you're supporting your community. And that's number one. And then also saying like, all right, well, and I always use my because it's my favorite fruit, but um, like you, you look at my and say, well, okay, this is a fruit. Like we just use it for shakes. That's not the case. You could do so many things with this. And you know, we've done so many different applications with it. And you know, stuff like that, like forcing your, your, your skill and what you have and like the talents given to you and the ones that you've nurtured to say, okay, I have this beautiful product that came from 20 minutes away. What can I do with it? That I think is the real, like, that's when you, that's when you see like what you're made out of. Yeah. And and what's interesting is like when I was thinking about the concept, the whole sandbox thing kept popping into mind because it's funny how you can send someone that is creative or creative minded uh, out somewhere and no matter what they will make their, they'll end up making their own box. Like you could get free reign, be able to do whatever you want, but eventually you'll start building some walls and having some, some of your own framework and structure put in place. And I feel like that's the creative restraints you're talking about. It's like geographically where you are, what can you do with the resources and the food there? And that kind of stuff. I, and I, I agree and I disagree because I think that when you create that box, a real creative person will start to feel almost uh, tied yep. inside of a box, and they'll blow that motherfucker up, and they'll start over again. Oh yeah! And like, and like here, this restaurant that's going to turn five in January, I've done it so many times. We have like a, a menu structure, and then I fucking blow that shit up, and then we start again. And then we have one, and it, and it works, and people like it, and then we blow it up, and we start again. Yep. And we go, and we go, and we Thank go, you. because I think proper, please. I think that 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 thing and that like that evolution to a person is so important. Like you need to find some because like once you're like, all right, this is cool. Like we have structure and we're in a box and we're all good and then people like it. But are you okay with that? Like I know I know for a fact that because people have always complained that I change the menu too often, and I don't think I change it enough. 
But then, you know, like I got to a place, I was like, all right, let's, you know, let's calm down. And then I started to felt, I started to feel like I was constrained. I started to feel like I would sit up at night and be like, are we doing enough? Are we pushing enough? Are we like at a place right now that I think that we are pushing the envelope? Because we've had the same dish. We've had this same dish on the menu now for, you know, 120 days. And that for me, I start to get like very antsy and I start to get like, I, my skin starts, starts to like, um, just like crawl a little bit, you know, and it's just, and it's a mental thing for me. So I blow it up and we start again, you know, and, and I think that when you start to build that structure around you, it's good to have bones, you know, like our menu here has bones. Our menu in Nave has bones, which are like the things that structure a menu and then you build on top of them and then you could take them off and then put something else because they're not part of the bones. Yeah. Maybe eventually one of those things will feed into like what, you know, like it'll become a fan favorite. It'll be something and you know, you want to keep it, but it, it changes. And I, I think that like uh, creativity, there has to be evolution in creativity. Yeah. No, there has, has to, to be the, the experimental aspect to it. Like you have to be willing to constant, like even if you've got it right and you feel you got to a good spot, like, Usually the creative mind takes you like, what if I did it this way? What if I switch this? And what if I tweak that? Like th- those are the angles that start like with your menu specifically. Like, yeah. th- that's where it gets really fun. Um, for me, it's more, I come more from the brand world, you know, designing brands and helping brands figure themselves out, whether it's visually or communication wise with, with uh, messaging. Uh, how about that side of the restaurant business? How do you, are, I know that you constantly like doing things that are within your taste and that you feel is necessary for like, a specific neighborhood uh, yeah. how do you approach those different uh, concepts and, and are you really close to the design aspect or, or do you just have trust in your design studio or your your designer to I'm involved with every aspect of everything we do every single thing branding color schemes uh, layout of the restaurant um, thank you Todd you're an angel DJ Palmer serious <laughs> <laughs> you know we're in the process and we've been in the process now for about a year now developing uh three new concepts for the end of next year and you know this is the first time that we've properly done things like area was kind of slapped together and it was like very like duct tape and stuff and that's why i feel like that brand has somewhat changed um but these other ones you know i've this is the first time that i've actually worked with like a professional design team and uh, trying to relay my thoughts and because you know like very like uh, my thoughts come quick and fast and not exactly when you want them to gotcha. so it could be at like 3 in the morning and I'm like well what about this and yeah. or it could be at 6.30 in the morning when I get up to go to the gym like what about this and you know like those are the way that's the way my, my mind works like when you ask me a question I may not have the answer but I may have the answer in two days from now at 3.30 in the morning yeah. so now working with a design team, it's it's different, and I've learned those aspects a little bit more. But I, you know, I can only talk about right now because the only brand that's completely done, brands that are completely done, are like Nave and, and Ariette. And Ariette was has been much more of an evolution because it's been much more of an evolution of the restaurant, yeah. and myself included. Because I would say that this restaurant is the most reflective of me as a person. So the brand has changed, and you know, you say that. Um, maybe for uh, community per se is what you said. Ariad is a Miami restaurant through and through. And I think oftentimes there's plenty of Miami based companies that try to be like someone else 
when I think that my goal and our company's goal is to not be like anyone else, but to be like a Miami company. And what that means is reflective of the city as a whole, the people of the city, and what that means to me and what that means to us as a company. Too often times do I see someone that like opens up and it's like, well, you know, like we want to be like this place in New York. We want to be like this Italian place in, in California. Like that's cool for New York and California, but that's not cool for here. You know, and I think that's like from the design side, it's tough because yeah. everything that's been related to Miami always has to do with chachi, cheesy shit. And that's not who Miami is. Miami has a lot more depth, has a, a lot more real aspects to it. And at the end of the day, what people publicize is the trash on South Beach, Ocean Drive, and the neon, whatever, which is fine. But that's not who we are as a community. So I take that shit pretty personal. And that's why I do involve myself with from the start to finish of like every aspect of design, branding, how will we do. And I fucking can't stand social media. But, you know, like how we're portrayed on that side, too, because, you know, like that, uh, sadly, that shit matters now. Sure. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think for many years I was in the social media world, managing accounts for different brands and posting daily, staying on top of all that stuff, commenting, engaging, uh, running ads. And it's just it gets insane. And you really it, it got to the point where realize that you really do need dedicated people to each specific brand to be able, you know, it, 100%. It, it is its own world. It's its own job and it needs its own focus. Like half-assing it has its repercussions. And you can tell, like you just can't manage. Well, oh, what are you posting today? Okay, cool. What are you posting tomorrow? 365 yeah. days a year. And then, oh, cool. Cool. You posted it. What are you going to say about those comments? Oh, we got to, you know, what do you it's like all oh, the requested comments. They had a question. Then you got to answer that question. Then you got to find the actual information. Yeah. If you don't know the information, you got to go to someone and find out the information. And then you got to respond. And then you got to, like, on my phone, I have six different accounts that rotate, right? Like my personal and then all the businesses. Because I like to know what yeah. the, thing, the things that are happening. And, like, you know, that kind of engagement, I know it's exhausting. And one day I'm probably going to have to put it down. But especially in today's world that every little thing counts, Every little thing matters. Hey, are you guys open open for happy hour? Absolutely, we're open for happy hour. Here's our happy hour menu. And you have to have that shit on deck, ready to go. Yeah. And that's why, like, uh, the social media management thing has become such a big thing. But it's also polluted so many other professions. Correct. At the same time, like, there's so many people that do video and design and brand work that now are getting replaced by apps. They're getting replaced by filters. They're getting... And these are professionals that went to college, that have been yeah. in their profession for 20 years, that have tens of thousand dollars of worth of like camera equipment and fucking all this kind of shit that now they're almost becoming obsolete because people can't tell the fucking difference sometimes. Sure. And they don't care to know the difference, yeah. you know? And from like a, like a creative person like me, that's the epitome of like McDonald's making a robot that can flip burgers. And I know that's a very small example of like what that means. But it's the same thing, yeah. you know, and, and it's it's exhausting. And I, I'm scared for the future of creatives, and I'm scared for the future of like that thing, like that, like those people that uh, the the true artists of the music world that actually have a great voice, not the ones that need uh, someone to doctor their voice so people can love it. Got you. Yeah. You know. Yeah, Anyways. I mean, it really is interesting in terms of the standards how they've changed because. You know, these design and photography tools have become commodified. Like, every app has it within them. You can download apps. Uh, 
and the quality of you know before you have to buy a camera you have phones that have like amazing video and photo right. quality yeah so it's it's no longer enough to or you can't be qualified just by showing up with the right equipment like the standard has been raised and in terms of like it's really the thoughtfulness the strategy and, and the execution and how it resonates when people are scrolling like what are you doing differently that's gonna make them thumb stop that's gonna make them be like all right well let me take an extra second and see through this video or scroll through that post and it is difficult it's it's a clouded very cluttered situation but i mean it's the world that a lot of creatives that probably didn't have a chance now have been able to come up to so there's always that yeah. converse you know side to things i mean what you could do to make them stop is come up with a video about trying six different types of black beans <laughs> i i think so far um the producer of uh date whatever what's your thing that, what's your that's the producer of date whatever yeah that's yeah he uh he nailed it have we uh has iberia hit you up yet for like defamation or anything <laughs> no but i hope they do yeah i hope they do too i hope i get an angry email from iberia what about what about ivanka did she hit you up saying that she was mad about i hope that, that even more oh uh, that how we portrayed her yeah. yeah yeah i mean you did a pretty good ivanka i did a for, pretty good Ivanka. for people who aren't aware this is all in reference to a video that was released uh today today is what is this the 12th yeah uh, sometime in august yeah today's august 12th and we put out a video of mike uh, blind tasting six different cans of black beans. Uh, he had unkind things to say about Ivanka Trump and Iberia brand. First of all, beans. I wasn't unkind about Ivanka. I was unkind about Goya's beans. That's fair. You it know? was it was a little ambiguous. It, it was unclear who you were calling trash. That's true. It was both. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It was. I was actually calling them both trash. There you go. <laughs> yeah. No, that's accurate. Actually, both Goya and Ivanka were both trash at that moment. <laughs> And in general. I I haven't looked into this further, uh, and we we should get back to this conversation you guys were having a a second ago, but uh, I I keep being told that Goya actually makes Gidby beans. No! Really? (laughs) That's what I'm told. I got to dig deeper into this, but that might be the case. What a curveball. Kirby was two. Plot twist. Yeah, Kirby was number two, right? No, number one. You posed posed with it. You gave it an Ivanka. Wow. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. Shit. 100%. I take it back. El Ebro, El Ebro, number one. <laughs> yeah. I, that's on. my mom's favorite. El Ebro. A lot of people yeah, have hit me up with the El Ebro's number one. Yeah, a lot of them. And then there was a gentleman today that was talking trash about Dade Mag, saying that uh, they failed at their execution of the actual event. <laughs> this was a gentleman who uh, was not paying very close attention. Uh <laughs> His, his complaint was that we went with all the seasoned... But that's the point, is you open the can, you nuke them, and you put them right on the beach. That's right. Defend yeah. yourself, Nick. Yeah. Defend I yourself. Because if we get into the, like, oh, you add the sofrito, then you open the door to, like, well, what if one of them got a better sofrito? That's yeah. right. You know? Then um, it's a whole other fucking ballgame. Although I would get a big kick out of making Mike eat beans with my sofrito. Yours? Yeah. Just Yours or Maggie's? No, no, mine. No, no. no I, I, you've never had anything I've made. Oh, David man. has. This David is... will tell you. I'm, I, I, I do a decent steak. job. Pretty well, oh, a steak on top of risotto? Yeah, I know the that move. Ru- I know that move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but there was no... I don't think there was any risotto involved. Oh, thing. no? Yeah, because then everyone would still be sleeping after that. <laughs> I got issues with Nick's cooking. But, you know, like he's... You know. You've, had, no, you've had issues talking shit about Nick's cooking you've never had. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you're referring to yourself in the third person. That's good. This is good. Anyways, back to the, the things at hand. So... Tell me what, uh, first of all, what, 
What motivated you to do a podcast with Nick Jimenez to begin with and put it on Dave Mag? It was, it was a steak. Was it the steak? Did he lure yeah, you it. with a steak? Yeah, it was pretty much a steak dinner. That was about it. <laughs> no, it's a, we, we've been in communication for a bit, and when he told me that he was producing podcasts and he had a little bit more experience in it, I had this idea that I'd been going to a couple events down here called Creative Mornings. And oh, yeah, have, I know those. Yeah, so and I, I got to meet some really dope people, creatives in the, in the community that I had no idea they were doing amazing things. And I'm like, I, I'm still involved with that event, but it's a once a month. And, you know, once you're done with it, you walk away and there's not really a conversation that keeps on with it because of the nature of the organization. It's a nonprofit. It's not made. It's just made to highlight creatives. Sure. So I was like, why don't why isn't there something else to at least carry the baton a little bit further so that people in the community can at least be aware of the backstory and be if they can't make it to that event, can they hear a little bit more about what they do? What's their craft? What's their process like? Um, that, that was really the the idea where it was planted. Uh, and then, you know, a few months back, we, we released a batch of episodes, and now we're, we're back at doing a few more. Um, and I just want, I wanted to keep it, I didn't want to just do people in the professional creative world where people think it's just like advertising and design uh, or photography. I wanted to expand it to other crafts that I feel have creative aspects to it. I think someone that, you know, Mike Ortiz, in the way that he, he approaches his Talking about JoJo? Yeah. Oh, man. What even, it, even with that, it's something that's interesting. It's, it's a different approach that a lot of people might have not looked at it that way. And that's really what, it, what it's about, trying to get people to realize that creativity is not this box that people... There's a lot of people that have an on and off switch that they think that they are not creative, period. When in reality, they're, they're probably creative in some capacity. They just don't realize what it is. I think every human being in some kind of... Some way, like some way, is creative. It, it doesn't have to translate from pen to paper. You know, it's like there's something. You know, you have to create your way of being, your yeah. uh, personality that you have, all that things. It's all, it's all part of creation, evolution, you know. Talking about Mike Ortiz, did anyone watch his story today? No. I feel like that's a YouTube video all him. in and of itself. Yeah. No, Mike Ortiz, if you're not following his uh, on Instagram, he is Michael the Jojo, J-O-J-O. Yeah, Michael the JoJo, and he did. Um, actually, I'm going to be shooting the thing he was talking about. Uh, so on. Sa- Are you? Yeah. So on Saturday, you're getting around, huh? Yeah, I mean, he asked me. <laughs> he asked me for a favor. I'm going to NPR do JoJo T. I'm hey, doing. Mike, I'm, this is that's crazy. right. NPR JoJo T. We're a little edgy for NPR, but there's a but. growing list of people who are having me do things for them for free. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, so Michael the JoJo asked me to record. He's uh, he's doing a, a tea tasting on Saturday, uh, and this might be. You were talking about social media earlier. I'm going to use this as an excuse to to segue both of you into the social media topic. So Mike uh, Ortiz is doing a live tasting. So what he's doing is he is uh, prompting people to buy tea ahead of the tasting on Saturday, have it shipped to them, and then he'd be leading them through a tasting over Instagram Live. What I'm going to shoot for him is more of like this kind of a three camera setup, uh, so that people can continue to consume it, but at a different quality, right? And, yeah. Um, so, I guess the the prompt for the two of you would be just uh, I'd be curious to hear you both talk since you're on opposite side, not opposite, but on uh, different coming at it from different angles about yeah. how your communication about products and about food or about whatever has changed and and how you've had to change that for times of Rona. 
because uh, that's some that's Mike's thing had been in person tastings, right? But he can no longer have people in close quarters in a tea room, yeah. um, especially with how hands on that tea process is. Yeah. Um, so he's getting creative with it. But talk a bit about that, about like what adjustments you've had to make in each of your work, uh, not necessarily for the cooking side of it, but how you tell people about it and appeal to this new set of needs people have. I mean, for us, really, luckily, our, our primary client at the agency is we directly sell online. So there really wasn't any like retail or in-person uh, setup where we had to focus on driving people to a location. So a lot of what we do was digital. So a lot of it didn't change. And in fact, like during the first few months of the quarantine, um, the sales actually spiked because more people were, were purchasing online. Sure. Just behavior across the board, people were shopping online more. You know, and it it really put a lot of people that were otherwise not as active online or not online, like you know, in the fifties and sixties, uh, and, and just people that weren't really shopping in that manner to, to have to refocus. So for us, it it just been more in depth and, and get serious about what we're doing online. And yeah, from a messaging standpoint, yeah, we, there's certain things that we've had to tweak, um, but really we, we've been able to to navigate it pretty easy i'm sure for you it's a lot different um with you know people not being able to dine in and, and having to find other ways to get food to people's doorsteps or get food to people to pick it up and, and all that kind of stuff skip you're fine Sorry. don't worry no one's listening anyways no nah, it's fine um uh, i have so many thoughts about like the world of food right now you know like and totally off subject. You know the you know the tack room. You know the tack room is. Tack room is Thomas Keller's restaurant in. New York. That's good. <laughs> Skip everyone. Skip Cologne. <laughs> nice work. No plates were harmed. I don't think. Anyways, um, the tack room closed today, which is a big deal. You know, that's like Thomas Keller's version of the surf club in New York. And like the world of dining so much, like trying to get that word to people and like how to eat and what you're doing to make them safe and so on and so forth. It's all just right now. It's like a luck of the draw. You know, like some people will come out. Some people won't. There's certain concepts that people feel comfortable going to. There's certain concepts that they don't feel going. They don't feel comfortable going to. I think there's so many things that like local and state governments can do differently to like help restaurants that they're not doing right now. You know, like uh, it's just a very dire situation. Yeah, like social media is cool. Like tell people you're open. We have happy hour. You got to be six feet away from each other. The bar is not open because you can't stand at the bar. You can't sit at the bar. Um, there's like so many things, so many like bar, like actual bars are closed. We have a bar that's been closed now for five months, six months, maybe now. Um, I don't know. It's a sour subject for me, like how that translates and how trying to, you can tell everyone that you're open every day. Yep. You can. And, like, we're very fortunate because we've been open now for almost five years that, like, we have a, we have stability. People will come. And not a lot of people come, but enough people are coming that I can keep the lights on. But it's, like, not enough. Sure. But it's still there. 
But there's a lot of other restaurants that maybe have opened in the last year, 18 months or whatever, that they're struggling hard. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that, like, hey, um, uh, this, like, wild 10 o'clock curfew that to me doesn't really make much sense for dining happening. And, like, the fact that, they, they, that they're closing people, like, they, they're legitimately closing people down for 24 hours if you're serving people after 10. There's no way you can translate that to social media. And then also equally on top of that, for you to tell your guests, I had a guest tell me yesterday that this is like communism because you can't sit more than four people to a table. I said, well, I didn't come up with the rule. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like your four top is not worth me closing the entire restaurant for a day because you want to sit more than four people to a fucking table. Yeah. But then I, I equally ask other people, like, that doesn't make any fucking sense majority of the time. You know, like, if it's a bunch of kids and a family, like, it doesn't make any sense. So, like, I get them. I'm not going to go as far to say that it's communist, but, like, it's just, there's so many, like, layers to it. Like, social media can only uh, do so much. Like, you can only tell so many people about your product, and then they're going to come and have it. But at the same time, you got to be out the door by 945, because if you're here past 10, they're going to fucking close us down. It's stupid. But the, and there's also the other aspect of it, right, of, like, the story of your business changing. Because aside from just having to let people know you're here when there might be doubt about whether you're there or whatever, there's also, and we've talked about this on Pancom Podcast, Podcast, Podcast before, like, about uh, Nave and Ariette especially uh, sort of having to transition to um, not necessarily entirely new businesses, but businesses that people have to think about their experience of engaging with it in a different way, right? So especially Ariette, that you're about to, you know, hit the five-year mark. Yeah. And you've been building this idea in the diner's head of what Ariette is, and now all of a sudden that exists because you're doing these 10-course ticketed dinners on a monthly basis now. Yeah. But then also you want them to have this parallel understanding of like, oh, well, you can also get some comfort food here that you take home with you. Right. So so talk about that. That's what I mean more, right? Like. Not necessarily, like, is, will the message get across, but rather, like, how do you think about how the message itself has changed? It's tough. Like, how has the, how has the message changed? Because I don't, I don't necessarily want my message to change. I've worked very hard to keep my message. And I think that a big reason why people continue to come here is because I've kept our message pretty honest. And it's, and it's real. What has changed is the parameters in which they allow us to operate, you know, and that has very little to do with me and that has to do with the world. You know, like the world has said, we have to do these things and then we have to do these things. And then, you know, like uh, I think um, social media a lot is kind of like uh, judging a book by its cover, right? You know, like it's um, – it, we can go and, and we can talk about that subject forever about like in the influencer world and the tearing the cookies in half and the cheese pulls and the pizzas and that are gigantic and shit yep. that it's it's judging something by its cover like oh my god that's so cool but it, at the end of the day it probably tastes like fucking trash you know for us you know we try we tried and we have tried and we will continue to try to keep the message very honest right what we can't do is we can't change the parameters in which they're giving us to operate right and we've talked about that at like a million times about how the government wants us to, to work, right? 
but we're we're just trying to earn a living right now. And we talked a lot about that with Falco, right? Did we actually talk about that with Falco? We did. I think we did. And it's like, um, you know, we're trying to keep people employed. We're trying to keep the ball rolling, and we're trying to stay within like the parameters that you give us. But at the same time, the parameters you give us are like not indicative on survival. Yeah. Uh, they're a lot of the time they're indicative on us uh, having a fucking eat shit at the end of the day and it's tough to work within that so it's like when you look at the world of like how you portray yourself brand yourself and uh talk about yourself to the public there's only so much you can relay the actual struggle you know because you don't want to sound like a fucking like you're bitching all the time either because we're not bitching this is just like this is what we're being given you know and there i think there's only so much that we can do from a social media aspect from a from a, I don't know, just like a, a, commu- a communication with the client aspect, you know? like, And then at the end of the day, is the client going to give a fuck? Because a lot of people don't care. A lot of people are going to tell you that you're full of shit and they don't give a fuck. So uh, it's tough. I think it's a double-edged sword, you know? I agree. And really, like, this is outside of pandemic, really. Like, obviously, this is an anomaly in recent history. But in general... When it comes to restaurants, the brand, it, big part of the brand is the experience, and and if that experience isn't translated well across any touch point, then there's you know there's always going to be some sort of like dissonance and people that aren't necessarily going to connect with it or become repeat customers and loyal to it. Sure. If they don't feel that cool, it looks fucking great on Instagram, but I go there and then it's like I get bad service or the you know something about the experience just didn't match up. <laughs> so it's it's, it's always. You know, really, the holistic experience that matters at the end of the day of what the brand stands for and what people believe and talk about it as. It's it's funny you mention that because the way that people portray themselves on social media, for instance, um, and I see a, a, I see a lot of it with like new big restaurants or whatever that they'll come out and they'll like you know their photos are um, the tone is like dark and then it's like nighttime and there's people by a bar and there's lots of drinks and the, there's lots of like women in scandalous clothing and there's a lot of like you know like it's just like a very like sexy whatever and then you get there and you're like expecting this great thing and then it's like not that yeah so many times it's not that i'd much rather give give people like the real thing like what is it that you're really going to experience somewhere you know and um very few times have i gone somewhere that i felt was honest through their social or through what they portrayed themselves through social media or branding or like um, how they like pay publications to put them in there because obviously you know you pay to play a lot of times like yep. I want a full page whatever the fuck about writing about whatever the fuck about whatever the fuck this is yep, yep. and then when you get there you're like well, this is trash that's the word of the week no trash <laughs> trash yeah like this is this is trash like man this is so bad like service is bad the food is bad there's no sexy people here. Yeah. Like it's too bright. There's no the lighting is bad. Cause so much more goes into restaurants and an experience other than just taking a photo that took there was a photo shoot and it probably took eight hours and everything was staged and everything was like perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to yeah. do that. And you know, like as someone that I lo- I love the food that we do, and we do photo shoots as well, like I I want every dish to look like how it does in a photo. And I strive for that because I want those people to get what they want, yep, yep. what they want out of what they came for. And it's tough. And there's so many people that don't care about that. 
Yeah. You know? You know what's really interesting is I walked into uh, Rey de la Fritas there on Calle Ocho. We have a little studio right by there. And it's like, if you've seen the photos of how they show their food, it's like all faded. Oh, like, I love that. And I'm like, why don't we redo? Like, that looks like something I would want to remake in that style and really lo-fi. And I'm like, because there is like a character to that. And oh, there's yeah. a reality to that. You, it's not, you're not going to get some really well put together, you know, meal. <laughs> yeah, no, it. I mean, the food that you get there looks like the <laughs> yeah. ones in the pictures. Yeah. And I love that about that. That's why they're the goat. And yeah, that's and the why experience they're... is actually better because it's like that one's faded and this one's full color. <laughs> and it's the same. They look the same, you know, and, it, and it's like uh, it's faded. It's, it, it's yeah. been like that for 30 years, apparently. <laughs> exactly. So, like, I'm, I'm with that. Yeah. But oftentimes you get that, like, photo that you saw and it just looks like a pale comparison. Absolutely. You know? And, and really one of the things that I've learned over the years of working with various clients was a lot of times I was very eager to jump in and be like, all right, how do we make this look good? And how do we, you know, position you online and all stuff? And, and I took a step. I didn't take a step deeper to understand the business, the, the true experience of, of what it's like. To, to be a consumer at that location, what all, all the intricacies that really come into play beyond the social media front-facing side of things. And now I just have to ask way more fucking questions before I get to that point because there's only so much. We can only do so much from a marketing standpoint. All we are tasked to do is get people to your door or to, to check in. But really the sale and the experience after that is, is beyond us. Right. And you have to execute on that. So... We can't do something that is misleading to people, and, and, and it's going to be short-lived. You know, we can drive as many people as you want there, and then they'll never come back because they didn't have that experience. Yeah. I mean, um, I think a lot of the issues that Miami has had is we're so transient, like a lot of tourists. You know, they, they're sold a dream. They come one time, they go, and they'll buy a bottle live and they do the thing and they buy the hats that are fucking ugly and 50 bucks and yeah. it's all smoke and mirrors though but then they can go home and say i went to live and look at my hat and yep. and the other thing just to to piggyback on that is you know it, we're looking at it from a a different perspective than that person is right because i mean you spent all that time in virginia oh, yeah. so you know people and you've lived in places you know that for them what for you is like the shitty, you know, halfway to that dream version for them blows their fucking mind. Yeah. Miami blows the mind. Even if people in like some other big metro areas that are not fun, big metro areas like, yeah. you know, I think growing up in Miami, you're a little spoiled about like what the standard is for oh, a for good sure. time. Yeah. You know, uh, and so you think you, we're spoiled for that. Yeah. And so when it comes to that transient community, for whom like the bar is lower that's that's a thing for locals right because you have a lot of businesses that are catering to a community that is that transient and that has a lower bar and that's where they're making their nut right yeah. i mean yeah you're talking about south beach talking about parts of miami right. beach like, shit still sucks which still yeah no absolutely it's obviously now this whole thing has forced them to kind of rethink a lot of like they're supposedly going to be making changes to ocean drive and all that kind of stuff because i think that they realize that the, the, the entire way that they position themselves is no longer is, is having diminishing returns and what especially when you look at things like our Basel which obviously is another tourist trap and like a huge thing Ooh. what used to be going to I like this. Miami Beach which used to be going to Miami Beach is now being split or actually going more to Wynwood 
like people that used to come and be like, oh, I'm going to go to Miami Beach are saying, oh, no, I'm also going to check out Wynwood. So let's just say they're going to sp- spend half the time that they would have in Miami Beach. Those are dollars and attention and photos that they're not getting and the city is losing out on, right? I mean, they, they actually had an RFP out for a brand uh, a brand consultancy last year. So they're in that process of actually redoing their image because they know that something is is not working. Oh, yeah? That's funny. GMCVB yeah. doesn't think so. They think they're doing a great job. <laughs> um, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that they're not doing a great job. The um, What do you think about Winwood? Um, at first, I thought it was interesting for Miami, and then I think it's become swallowed up into, like, this Frankenstein of what, like, parts of Brickell and Miami Beach melded with some you know artistic uh ayahuasca trip or something (laughs) like it's just like this weird conglomeration that's now being overtaken by a lot of corporate bigger brands that so it's losing its local touch but it's it's a huge tourist attraction i mean i i see what it's i think a lot of times we see the the root of it when shit starts to go really downhill from a creative aspect and from like a that like purity aspect is starts at real estate. And I think a lot of that will always if you find out how much they're charging per square foot and it's over hundred and fifteen bucks square foot, you know it's gonna be trash. Yep. And not that it's gonna be trash that like it's just bad, it's just gonna be like big corporate brands and they're gonna put their flagship store and they know they're not gonna make any money, but they got a Louis store in Winwood or whatever the fuck and you know, and that happened like, you know, Ocean Drive. I mean, it's the the what they charge her for rent is ridiculous, oh, no, yeah. and that's why all the food there is trash. I I don't know. Like, I would love like I would love to find a good restaurant on Ocean Drive, and I just don't think that that shit exists. Yeah, because it's all like I drove by a restaurant the other day it was named Bacon Bitch. You heard that? It's oh, named I've Bacon that. Bitch. That yeah. was the name of the Bacon Bitch. Was well, the, name? the guy has like a whole series of different concepts with that um with that kind of same theme it's the same guy yeah he he's, has a f- couple other concepts i've seen it something bitch yeah like I'll, I'll look this up. yeah, yeah look please up, look up bacon bitch and then look up <laughs> bacon bitch yeah that's fucking horrible yeah like, like when, when do you sit in a room as like a creative person like man that's it bacon bitch that sounds uh, great i think that's more uh trend like it's more trend watching and, and trying to ride certain waves what's the wave of calling something bacon bitch it's it's melding different parts of like pop culture and social media influencer you know jargon that that's really popular right now. So it's a culmination of trash. It's a culmination of a lot of trendy shit that's going to be out of style in a little bit, and people. But that's the thing, yeah. you know. Like I I um <laughs> I our well this is from their website. When you walk through the doors of Bacon Bitch and our friendly staff greets you with "Hey, bitch." <laughs> Just know it's a sign of endearment and part of the experience. There you go. <laughs> what? I'm so confused. <laughs> Bacon bitch. Uh, and then they have a dictionary definition. Bitch. Noun. First definition. An endearing term to use with someone you hold close. As in, I love you, bitch. <laughs> what is that? Is this everyone on vacation? I thought you guys were on vacation. One day, out to the Keys? That's nice. You all look tan. That's nice. Hey, you got a, you got the thing on you, Shannon? No, 
Man, you are the worst. <laughs> Fucking A. <laughs> Bacon bitch. I, I, I wonder what my clients would tell me if I if they walked in and said, Hey, bitch, welcome to Ariette. Like, what the fuck is that? Even though I've never been to this concept, isn't there that Dick's Last Resort place where they just treat you like shit? It's like one of those big brand concepts I've seen. I've it. heard of that. Yeah, I've seen they have it like in Panama City Beach and like. Yeah, they just are like, hey, fuck you, asshole. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, but that's a, I, I don't so, know why I find that a little more acceptable than Bacon Bitch. So yeah. this is. Well, it's been around uh, for a bit, too. Queen's Hospitality's other concepts include. Bitch Boutique. There you go. Charlie's Dirty Water Dogs. <laughs> Drunk Bitch. Drunk Bitch. There you go. Night School. I don't know what JNGL means. They have a lot of shushing. Jungle. So uh, the Franklin South Beach. Uh, they're at the Franklin. And then Zaddy's. Zaddy. But I think that's what his thing is, is right? So anyway, yeah. Fa- Bacon CEO. Bitch. Bitch Boutique. Drunk Bitch. It's a bitch theme. Yep. Man. As in, I love you, bitch. <laughs> I mean, we'll see how it ages. <laughs> My head hurts. <laughs> we'll see how it ages? <laughs> we'll, like, see. we'll see how it ages? I, I want to see... <laughs> like, I want to see someone 10 years from now that went there and be like, yeah. <laughs> I'm still Bacon going there, bitch. you know? We'll see how it ages. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm so like, I still... Uh, I remember when I drove by that, I was like, what the fuck? Bye, D! <laughs> Love you, too. I, I'm i still like, I I just, it floored me. I'm like, what the fuck is bacon, bitch? Yeah. And it's like a thing. They have a drunk bitch. And a bitch boutique. And a bitch boutique. It's a whole I'm, spinoff of concepts. Well, actually, speaking of concepts, I think we should talk about, like, actual... Uh, reputable concepts like some of the ones that you've worked at before yeah I mean, your start yeah, well you, I was about to mention that yeah just talking about like bacon bitch <laughs> <laughs> what this guy say what he was gonna say no wait but I just cause reputable things something that Michael Schwartz told me a long time ago that always stuck with me forever was a lot of times restaurants could be like a flash in the pan please yeah please. sure thank you uh yeah. They could be like a flash in the pan. And the thing is, you don't want to be a flash in the pan. Yeah, yeah. Miami is very flash in the pan. It's like, how do you stay consistent? And how do you stay constant? Something like bacon, bitch, doesn't ring to me as constant. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no. It, it sounds timeless to me. <laughs> I wanted to actually dive into, you know, your experience. Obviously, you, you know, you've been at Cypress Room. You worked with Norman Van Aken. You worked with other you know, world-class chefs. Um, I think part of the creative process is really, uh, it's like there's those moments where you realize that something sparks in your brain that you're like, I'm meant to be in this field. Like, was that did that ever happen for you? Or was it a series of events that you realize, like, I want to be in the culinary arts. I want to, like, <laughs> I want to do this. Man, I wish I had, like, a beautiful story about that, but yeah, I don't. I have, a, yeah. I have a very real story about that. So when I was... Um, what is this, Nania? And when I was 18 years old, I was in Virginia, and uh, I, you know, I played college football or whatever, and I played Division three ball, and I, I didn't have. They take that lighter from us. You know, I was um, 18 or 19 years old, and I started working at an Applebee's, and um, you know, Division three football doesn't give you a scholarship that covers like your bills. So I needed to get a job. And they let you get a job at that point? Oh, yeah, yeah. Nah, they had the no NCAA choice. is, like, stupid yeah. about that shit. Well, 
in Division Three, since they don't give you a stipend of money and they don't really even give you scholarships, they give you tuition assistance, then yeah. they have no choice. Cool. Uh, and obviously, like, you know, my family wasn't in a position to be sending me, like, fuck tons of money. So I was like, all right, I got to get a job. So I got a job at an Applebee's. My first day, I worked 14 hours. I made 88 bucks. Wow. <laughs> but there was something about the experience when I walked into that place and I was in school and I was a dreadful student and I've been a dreadful student my entire life. Um, and that clicked for me and I really loved it. But I was also a kid, and I loved all the bad shit. You know, like the drinking, the drugs, the, the things. All the things that are involved with it. The staying up late, the fuck. It's like, it was just bad. You know, like, a lot of bad shit for a kid to fall into. And still, like, even when you get older, you fall into it even deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's the shit that you really like. Yeah. So, but, I, I fell in love with the industry, and then... I, I said to myself there, I was like, you know, at that time I wanted to be like a teacher or something. I don't even remember. Space cadet. It didn't matter. <laughs> um, I, she got me. She got me. You guys are the best. You guys, you guys are the best. Huh? Trust her? Huh? I trust. Of course I trust her. Um, Thank you. But thanks, Will. You're a peach. So, I, I also, I, I said, like, I wanted to open my own restaurant. And this is when I was 19 years old. There was never once that I was like, you know, I really want to, like, I don't know, I want to really do this. Other than playing football. Like, I love football. It was, like, my childhood love forever. Um, and I think the breaking point for me was when I started working in kitchens and I said, because I was a competitor always when I played ball too like when I was a freshman in college I was like I wanted to beat out the senior and I ended up beating out the senior but I ended up getting hurt and then he ended up starting anyways but um, he's the man his name is Jermaine Moore yeah. hey Chef Ashley's here <laughs> hey what did this happen she's the best so like when I started working in professional kitchens whether it be like this was after Applebee's I was like you know I really I like I want to be the best cook in this kitchen and then that just became like a thing for me. And then I started like buying cookbooks and I was like, I mean, I want to be able to cook all this food. And then I started working for like looking for great people to work for. And, you know, like I, I wanted to work for Norman very badly. Um, you know, Norman's food for me, when I started reading his books, changed me, changed my, my mind frame, opened up my mind to so many different things. I said, I wanted to work for this guy. I remember I, I applied over 10 times. I mean, uh, you can look back at the episode of Pancom Podcast with Norman Van Aken for more information. <laughs> and, um, you know, like, I, I, that's all I wanted to do. And I, I like, I would have broken my back to do that. And I ended up doing that. And it's like every time I went somewhere else, I wanted to be better. And I wanted to be better. And I wanted to be. So that's like, there was never a moment. I think the moment came from vices and from being a kid. But it grew into like a competitive nature. And then now it's more like it's become a personal thing for me because, you know, my family is very deep rooted with food. My grandparents, um, you know, there's pictures of my grandparents all over the restaurant. Uh, they're, you know, they're little bodegas in Cuba and they had a bodega in Puerto Rico and, you know, shit like that. So it's just it spawned into like a different purpose. But we all start somewhere. We end somewhere else. And who knows, like in 10 years from now, my purpose could be different. But. Um, 
at a young age, I didn't get into it because I wanted to be like the best chef in the world. I got into it for the wrong reasons. I stayed for the competitive nature and then it became long lasting because it became personal. You know? Cool. Um, a little bit like that last dance, uh, Michael Jordan scene. <laughs> and that's when it became personal. <laughs> yeah. Man, Michael Jordan, man. Yeah. I, you know, I'm watching that thing. I still, I still have two episodes left. Oh, yeah. yeah, I know that was like a thing, but man, he's a good that guy is incredible, man. Yeah, I know. He's like that whole team though is incredible. Like, I still, I still think Rodman's like my favorite player on that fucking yeah. team. What, what, what a character at that time too. And really, the more you know, at first I used to like not really be a fan of Phil Jackson. I guess because he just wasn't our coach. But it's like the more you get to know him, like man, what a freaking guy. Like, yeah. I, I just feel like he would have been an awesome coach to play under. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I, I kind of feel the same way. Oh. I feel the same way about Pat. Oh, absolutely. No, I feel like I'm the kind of person that's not very starstruck or, um, you know, I can meet any anyone and feel treated in the same way. But I feel like Pat Riley would be one of the few people I would be a little bit, like, shook to to, to meet. Because yeah. I feel like he, he has done so many things that I admire. Um, He's a godfather. Yeah, yeah, sure. The godfather of, like, Miami basketball, yeah. I feel, is Pat Riley. So... I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Oh man! What, been, what else? You got notes over there, David. What else? I know, David. Like, I'm, 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 I'm a little like taken aback because David's got. Let me just talk about context here about what's yeah. happening. And I know there's a video, but David's got notes. Yeah. And um, the one time I actually took notes for a podcast, I thought that podcast sucked. <laughs> right? It was a John George one. Yeah. But it's like you know, John George is like a he's like a he's an icon. In the food world, you know? So I was like, oh, I got to write notes. And I just, like, I didn't feel like myself, you know? And I'm looking at you with notes, and that's all, like, there's bubbles, there's notes, and there's connections there. Yeah. And I feel so outmatched today. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I, did, I also was able to interview John George, and, and I had it on an iPad. I, was, I tried it on the iPad, and then the, it would keep going on and off. And I'm like, fuck this, analog. And it was just like, go back to, you know, pencil and paper. And oh, it's just like a mind map thing. It's just a, a matter of, like, where I think naturally the conversation goes, and sometimes it doesn't, but they're still there. So, you know, you can find ways to. How much? Back in. How much of that do you use in your own work? In my own work, yeah. um, a lot. Like the way that I ideate is very much sketches and writing things down, and then creating prototypes and seeing how it looks and fucking around with it, and then seeing you know, breaking it apart and starting again. And let's—I've already decided I'm going to go back to the beginning and like do a little bit more robust of an intro than I did to give people more context about what each of you does. Robust intro. Uh, this is robust intros in static. What was it? Static in... Uh, static in the universe. <laughs> robust. Static. Brings you the most robust intro of 2020 by oh. Nick Jimenez. <laughs> so there. Uh, but flesh out a little bit more like what you do, what you've done. Uh, you know, for... I think the people who listen to Sandbox already have a good sense, but... If people are listening to Pancom podcast, let's an hour and ten minutes in. Yeah, give them like a clearer sense of what it is that you do and what your experience has been in that. Yeah, I I think the easiest way for people to identify me is you know my backgrounds in digital marketing and design. Uh, I, I identify more as a designer, but in reality, what I've been doing recently is coming up with you know brand identities, helping out with creative campaigns. I wear a lot of hats at the agency, so I even go into actually managing ad campaigns and helping out with copy and you know various elements of actual you know managing a client but in terms of what i love doing and what 
my craft is is really design and, and creative direction. Cool. So, um, you know, I love diving into whether it's a new brand or, or redes- you know, rebranding. It's like getting to the core of that brand, what the business behind it and how the hell do you attach the two? And then really like visually and, and verbally, how do you reflect that brand? You know, how, what do you how, think about my brands? I think they're fucking great. I think that you've done a great job, especially hearing that you, you've only recently started working with, you know, outside agencies and, and working with others, you know, that are outside of, you know, the in-house setup and, and you managing most of the stuff. Super impressive. I think that, you know, you're doing a great job of, of being able to communicate, be real, be raw. Uh, and a lot of people resonate with that across the board. I feel like it's, it's cross-generational too. I know, you know, my girlfriend's mom is a, a big fan of yours and, and oh, I know people amazing. my age are, are a big fan of you. So I think that that, You've done a good job of being able to resonate with people cross generationally, which is hard to do. Especially, I, in I love when the older generation likes us. Yeah, because the food at like Chugs and Ariette is not what they're used to. Yeah, but there, there are some people that are willing to to go a little bit outside their comfort yeah. zone and, and try things out, and and you do tie it back. I think one of the things I wrote was when when it comes up to making cuisine selections or determining a cuisine for a concept, you know, like Nick had told me that you really. You obviously have like Cuban roots, but then there's like a little bit of French influence. You have yeah. stuff from other parts of the world that you bring into it. Yeah. So it's like tying something nostalgic, but then bringing outside influences that can really bring that new layer of something unique that people want. It's to. interesting because like on uh, being on your side, the I think the struggle for me is, has been, and it's always been, even like internally, how do I relay my thoughts and like get that to someone else? Like we work with a wonderful company based out of Canada. Their name is McMillan. Super talented people. Cool. Like, um, actually, one of my partner's best friends works for them, and he did some one-off work for us. Nice. Like, he would help me, like, organize some of my thoughts and put them on paper and whatever. And now we're working with, like, the whole company. Nice. And I think that the hardest thing for me is, like, how do I how do I tell you, like, what I'm thinking? And, again, it's like, yo, this shit came to me at 3.30 in the morning. I remember because we're in, in the process of rebranding one of our companies because we're going to renovate and be the same but different on the other end but we want to rebrand we want it to be a more iconic brand something that's not as cutesy so we're talking about chugs for instance mm-hmm. and the only thing that i could find that really executed the color combinations i wanted was uh, a 1978 ford bronco that was avocado colored and khaki on the inside wow that was the only thing you come on you're fine <laughs> um that was the only thing I found that could that I felt like this is like what I want my chairs to look like. Yeah. And I sent them that. Cuz I didn't know how else to tell them. It's like this is this is what I want, you know? Like these are the three and there was I found like four cars but the, the the Ford was the nicest one. Like these are like the things that I feel like I want my booths to look like this. You know, like I want them to be avocado with a stripe of khaki in the middle. You know like um I don't know how else to like relay those thoughts. Like I put together boards for them, like uh, think boards or whatever, and then I just hand it to them. Cool. And then when they, but it's a little overwhelming for me because I've never had someone be like, "All right, here are our eight options," and I'm like, "Fuck, eight options? Yeah, it's a lot. This yeah. is eight more options than I've ever had." <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, "All right, well now I gotta." And, and you know, and I feel as a creative person, I feel like, man, I don't want to like tell these people that this this is trash or I don't like this or you know, like I feel. Almost because I'm also on that side as well. I feel like uh, I feel some kind of way about it. So it's it's an interesting now like 
working with people that are in your field, um, it's uh, not a struggle for me. It's just a new world that I'm trying to adapt to. Got you. Yeah, and I mean, from what I've learned, I've learned that I've just had to be better at finding ways to get get a brand, get a client to express really what's within. And sometimes it's as easy as like a, a, a brand exercise. Like one of the things that we've done is ask a client like what their top three competitors are and then say like, if those com- if you were sitting at a table with those competitors, like what celebrity would they be or what animal would they be? So you get them to like go down the line and you start saying like, all right, I think that, you know, brand A is uh, more of a horse because X, Y, and Z. And this was more of a sloth. They've been around for a while, you know. And then after they've labeled their competitors, you, you flip the question on them. Like, so, and what animal are you at that table? Then you have to find a way to, because you're not going to say that you're the same one as, as the ones you just said. You're going to try and find a way, like, how are you truly different from everyone else at the table? Or are you okay with being an imita- imitation brand and, and sitting at that table? So it's really trying to get that, you know, perspective, get, get them to think outside the box of how they view their brand so that it can at least start getting them to, to speak about it in different ways. Outside the sandbox, if you will. <laughs> see that? You see what I did there? God. Hey. Well, let me ask you. If someone sits at that table and says, I am my own worst competitor, what do you say? Oh, I want you to dive into that. It almost becomes like a psychology session. Yeah. I mean, to me, I, I think that when you build a concept, you build it to be very different than everyone else, and you are your own competition. You know, like, and, and I've said this a million times about chugs specifically, right? Because, like, we have a Cuban sandwich, but it's not, it's not a Cuban sandwich. My goal in life is not to have the best Cuban sandwich in Miami. My goal is to have my Cuban sandwich. You know, and that's why I say, like, it's not that we don't have competition. I'm building a concept that I feel is very genuine in its own way. So we don't have competition because there's not someone that's making a muffaletta Cuban in Miami. And what, what's interesting about that is that you're probably more aware of the, what the competition is doing because you're able to say, like, there's no one doing that because you've been able to go around, do your research, try things out. But there are some brands out there that tr- think that they're coming to the table with something unique. And then when you really dive deeper, you do the research and you show them, well, these other brands are doing this as well. How do you really separate yourself from them? So right. sometimes it's a matter of, like, getting the brand to realize that what what they thought initially was a unique differentiating factor sure. might not be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which it's a, that, that whole analogy of, like, sometimes you're inside of a jar looking outside and you're just – can't really look around it you're just stuck on the inside looking out it's interesting because like we're, we're in the process of building a um, I don't want to like let too much of the cat out of the bag but we're, we've been building a, a, a ice cream concept and we have an incredibly talented pastry chef she's she's a wizard she's one of the hardest working people I've ever met and I've, I've never been so happy to give like build a concept for someone ever and it's going to be in the Grove. And people are like, well, you know, there's there's like so much ice cream in the Grove. I'm like, I don't care. I, it doesn't matter. Because what she does and what we do as a company is so genuine to that. To that person's talent, to that kind of idea, to that. Because also it's not just an ice cream shop. There's another layer to it that I don't want to reveal because then people in Miami will... Can listen you? to this. I think one of the 22 <laughs> people that listen and they'll jump on. That. Um, but there's like layers to it. And, but I believe in the talent that she has and like that thing so much that I'm like, I don't care. You could put 
10 people of competition up against us, and I feel like we'll still win. Yeah. And I feel like we'll still win because of the people in the room, you know? And it's not like, that's not arrogance. That's just the competitor in me. And I'm like a gambler. Like, I want to, what, like, if you think you're better than me, then let's go. And then, you know, our ice cream, your ice cream. Let the market see. decide. Yeah. Let's see whose ice cream is better. Yeah. And I think that's a, a very, it's a, I feel like it comes from a very genuine place. I'm not trying to, like, tell anyone to fuck themselves. I just feel like it, it's one of those things that looking at the market, like, first to market always usually wins. But at the same time, a lot of times first to market is always a big generic brand that usually isn't very good. Yeah. So it's not that they're first to market. They just have more power behind them. So I can open up a haagen in Coconut Grove, in Coral Gables, in Wynwood, in South Beach, in Bayside. Because I got a fuck ton of money behind me. But this ice cream shop that's one of a kind and will live in this thing, only one, will be much more special than that Haggadah you open across the street from me. Yeah. Feel me? So uh, we've been, we're closing in on like an hour and a half-ish. Oh, yeah? So let's, um, yeah, I'm going to, before we get to all of our recommendations and all that kind of shit, um, David, do you have something that you want to get into? Yeah. Because uh, I know that this guy's been talking, been <laughs> monopolizing this. this whole thing. No, I mean, I think... I feel like I've given a good platform here, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Why am I always a victim to saying that I no, talk too guy much? guy eats a few beans and he thinks he's a big deal. <laughs> there's there's two two things that I really... One, one I think is very close to home for you is it's the concept of the wave of chef-owned concepts becoming more prominent and taking more i guess more of a front stage than it has in the past and what your opinion oh, is of that man. i we have a mutual friend uh jessica sanchez from loa that oh, you know i know I she's her. an amazing person she's the best i, I love her concept and obviously she's taking a back seat from it and she feels like you know she wants to focus on other things but i knew well, every time i went i felt like i love the concept and i love what she could do but um one of my conversations with her was was talking about that I think the chef-owned concept became more popular because of the friction that there was with a lot of these bigger concepts coming in and kind of dictating to chefs what needs to be done, right? Yeah, yeah. As opposed, And the chefs felt creatively restrained and not able to actually execute on what they want passionately. And now that chefs are being able to come up with these concepts and run it, I think that there is also another friction point and inflection point where is the operational side where... Sure, you can be really good at coming up with the right cuisine, the right menu, the right concept. But in terms of operations and the business side, it might be outside of a lot of chefs to to manage and operate. What is your opinion of that in, in the industry in general and how have you managed that? Oh, man, that's such a loaded question. It is. There's so many like layers to that. Yeah. I mean, I the chef-owned concept, the food will always be better more heartfelt more emotional and it will touch you more if you're someone who cares about cuisine it will resonate with you more right a big thing i tell every chef i interview or that comes to work for me is that i will make you understand the business as much as i will make you understand the food and the reason why i say that is because without understanding the business we cannot execute the food that makes us feel and that gives us purpose in life. Yep. 
Because a lot of times, like, and I've worked for places that were uh, pseudo big and, you know, you had to, like, follow a thing and there had to be the tuna nachos and things like that. I actually never worked anywhere that had that. But, you know, like, the there had to be those things. And I've and I've seen that and and it and it and it like to me you you could see it from a mile away. Something like what we're sitting next to, the two actually the three things we're sitting next to are completely driven by what's good by the business model, by the concept itself, by so many different layers. The only, I think the only one that totally is driven by emotion completely and by like just like complete creativity is Ariette because it is my it's my paintbrush the whole thing the other ones have concepts the other ones have things that we fit inside of because as a business we have to understand that you have to understand as a chef that there's certain like uh, business parameters you need to fit within Absolutely. so you can do your thing I want people to do their thing, but you got to understand the model and how to make that work. It's always going to be difficult, right? Now it's like finding the difficult nature and then saying, okay, how do we make it work? How do we, how do we figure this out? Because like there was plenty of people a year ago that told me that a duck press was unachievable. And I said, we'll figure it out. <laughs> Stop telling me the limitations. Tell me the possibilities. Yeah. And then look at the budget look at the financial ramifications and tell me if we can do it and we can't there's like there it's there's a lot of layers to that the big corporations i understand them i understand them i understand why they do what they do i understand their thought process i understand the whole thing i'm just not going to adopt that for me but i understand why they do it and i get it and and for their model it works and then for the independent restaurant too like when i sit there and i talk to people i i give them Advice only because I've, I've, I myself have failed from the perspective of business. Like this shit doesn't work. Think about it this way. Think about all these things. Don't limit yourself so you can make more money. Find a way to make more money within these confines. <clears throat> and I think that sometimes people shortchange themselves. You can be creative. You can find a solution. And you can still do your thing and feel proud of that you know and and there's like layers to it and it's like the the big corporation thing they're not going to go away yeah they're not going to go away we got to learn how to coexist it's totally fine not everything is napa valley that we're not going to have the big corporations here like coconut grove's got a ton of big fucking corporations and i live within i here we live within giants that have millions upon millions of dollars and i don't i don't have that but i live within them and I know how to maneuver them. And I'll fuck them up. <laughs> like all day. Yeah. Because I think our food and our product is better. But you have to find what works for you. And I'm very fortunate also that I don't live, like I don't sit in a room by myself. I have wonderful partners that understand other parts of the business that I don't, I'm not totally amazing at. And they can educate me just like I can educate them on what we do. And I think that that relationship so often People want to say, no, I don't want a partner. I don't want someone on the other side of the table telling me what they think. But what if what if what they think is beneficial to keep your business open 
so you better understand your business. It's like the the I think the the creative aspect of like running a business is is deep too. It's not just creativity on the plate. It's creativity in like how you run your yeah, business. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's why I said earlier that some people that don't think that they're creative, it's like, no, no. You could be creative in like how you structure a company. You could be creative in the legal world. You could be creative in how you teach kids. There's a lot of different layers to it. And what you touched upon specifically with the partnership was the next point that I want to talk about, which is finding creative alignment. And then conversely, how do you manage creative friction? So like with a partner... You know, sometimes you might have things that you're all gun ho and both, you know, all of you are aligned on. And that's amazing. Maybe you can give an example of that. But uh, could you also give an example of like a time where you weren't really aligned creatively, yeah. but then you found a solution? Sure. I mean, um, there's always give and take. As as much as you want to give, you got to learn how to take. Mm-hmm. It's like what I, I've talked about a million times, the burrata salad. You can put a burrata salad on whatever fucking menu and people are going to buy it. Doesn't matter what you pair with it. It could be just be burrata with bread. People are gonna fucking buy it. It's crazy. I don't understand it. I do understand it. Burrata is delicious. I get it. So I, I, my my main partner, which is like my brother, uh, and we and we weren't like that. We we did not know each other when we first started working together, and we have gained a respect and a friendship over years of both. Trials and tribulations and disagreements. We we disagree every day. We agree every day. And I think something that Nick and I talk about a lot is we can disagree and, and be totally fine. Like, I could still buy you a beer and be okay. Like, just because we disagree doesn't mean I don't like you. Yep. And I think that's something that the world is missing. <laughs> Learn how to disagree and still be like, this guy's a good guy. But yeah. we're, you know, we're on different sides of whatever aisle it may be. Yeah. Opposite sides of the Goya kid be the- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, uh, I think it was like a year ago, maybe a little less. I went to him and I, and I, and I said, you know, I think it's time that we, we make some changes at Ariette specific. And he asked me what I meant. And I said, you know, I'm going to take the chicken off the menu and I'm going to take the burger off the menu. And he was like, ah, these are, these are big things. Because he's a, you know, like, those guys are black and white. It's numbers, it's, um, it's diagrams, it's charts and Sorry. shit. Yeah. And I said, I think that at this point, um, we've seen the market. We've seen what people want. We see that people are willing to take a risk. And I think that if we do this, it will be scary and it will hurt at the beginning. But long term, it will benefit us. So we got into that conversation and we talked about it a little bit more and, and, you know, he had lots of questions and he had lots of concerns and, and I think at the end of it all, he said, you know, I trust you and I trust that you know the thing, at least the day-to-day thing of this animal more than I do, but I still have my concerns and my reservations, but I trust you. And then equally, he told me, I think at another location we should do X, Y, and Z. And I said... That's a good thing, and I think that we should consider that, but I think we should do it this way. And he said, that's a good point. Let's try it that way. But to this day, we changed the chicken, and that was a thing. It was a, an uproar. We kept the same chicken. We just executed it differently, and the burger's still on the menu, but not on the menu. If you know, you know. Can't you? Yeah. There's only 12 a night, and if you know, you know. 
So it's it, there's always they're always in a partnership. It is exactly what it means. It's a partnership, and there's a balance. And I am extremely stubborn. I am the first person to say that. But I understand that if to to be involved in a true partnership, business wise, that you say you and I have equal say, then you really have to have equal say. Now there can be disagreements that are, and there has been disagreements that are up and down and very intense and so on and so forth. And but you have to find a common ground because you are not the final say, nor is that other person across the table. So you know, like creatively. There's, like I said, there's bones to everything. And then there's the other things that you can build on top. Right. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I mostly covered, yeah, the majority of what, what I wanted to cover. I mean, I don't know if you have any, like, tips for, so, let's say that it's someone you 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Like, what would you tell, you know, someone that's aspiring to be in your position, what would you, you know, tell them? No one should aspire to be in my position. <laughs> <laughs> Especially not in Maybe that's the advice right there. <laughs> yeah. I think um, I say all the time I'm, I'm lucky. I'm lucky to have found great partners. I'm lucky to have such a great staff like Emma. Right? I'll take another. One more. Yeah. One last one. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky to have like a, a lot of great things but luck is when preparation meets opportunity and you could be lucky a million times but if you're not prepared to take on that opportunity and really just take it all then uh, you won't feel lucky no you, you'll fail that time and you know if, if things work out for you you have another chance later on but I mean that's it internally we always operate and it's something my business partner was spearheading is like the concept of fail fast learn fast like we're going to test a lot of different things we're going to hit the brick wall really fast and we're going to see what's not working and then from that we'll start learning what is working and then we're going to like double down on what's working well i think failure is an interesting thing i think failure is needed anyone who tells me that they're scared of failure like yeah you know like be scared to fail and that makes you work harder but you need failure yeah to move forward you need failure to understand yourself to understand growth to understand evolution you need all of that shit you know like and it's uh i've failed so many fucking times i probably failed several times today <laughs> you know like it's just um it's what you learn from that failure that really indicates like what the future holds for you you know um it's interesting you know and and i think that this year is has been a testament to creativity. And I think that those, you know, especially like both of our fields, right? Like, you know, if you haven't been creative and learned how to pivot out of things or into things or around things, then fuck, man, this year you are fucked. Yeah. If you are just one thing and you are always that one thing, this year you have been, ex like, you have, you are fucked. What's really interesting is like what we're going through is clearly going to be you know a moment in history that we'll look back on a lot of generations will look back on to some extent and it's always like history when you look when you have enough of a gap it you almost romanticize it to a point where it looks like wow you know world war you know one world war two the great this that and it's like 
you went through this period and it's like sometimes the actual process of going through it sucks yeah. but it's not until you have enough time to look back on it and be able to appreciate the things that actually were fruitful from it or what you learned from it that it's but like going through it like we're going through it now it's not fun but I'm sure we could have a conversation in 5-10 years where we'll be like we'll find some silver lining some sort of like gratefulness of what we learned from this time that we would have never thought in this moment man I don't know I can't I'm, no, no, go ahead. I'm exhausted. <laughs> like I am exhausted by this year. I, uh, I fucking. This year has been rough, and I think that it only, as someone that employs lots of people, I feel like I'm. I want to take the brunt of all the bad shit for the people that work for me, but this year, like I, I, I couldn't, because you can't. Because it's just like the world is is indicating to you that you need to do things. You need to. It's just like man, it's it's been. I think what we will see long term is the ramica- the ramifications of this. Like for mental health for people will be severe. Yeah. And I think we'll we'll see that more and more as the year goes on and as as next year and and so on and so forth. It's just like it's heavy, man. It's yeah. heavy and. and Forget about business and forget about money. And I know that's every like what everyone fucking talks about, like restaurants closing, uh, stimulus checks, and money, and blah blah. Like the person, the human aspect, yeah. the human capital of what happened in 2020 is intense. Yeah, we, and we we don't we we need time to really see the impact. Like we have ideas of what the impact is, but we don't really see it until time is going to pass and then we'll be yeah. able to see yeah agreed, agreed. Yeah. so go on uh, producer nick <laughs> get on there so let's uh we're gonna move into our our wrap-up stuff um I, I forget on on sandbox is there like a, an end of the podcast like thing that you always do or yeah, you, we should call it empty the sandbox just a roundup yeah. And, and yeah it's nothing nothing that big okay so so we'll do the the Bangkok podcast usual thing and and this is where we go around and everybody recommends a thing. It could be literally anything, something you read, something you watched, you ate, you uh, whatever. Uh, I will start us. Go for it. And I'm going to recommend a Netflix series that I've been watching with my mom. <laughs> Man, this is good. So I'll go by their house and I'll watch an episode or two of this. It's called The Umbrella Academy. Oh, uh, yeah. I like this. Good show. The Umbrella Cheers. Academy. So check out The Umbrella Academy. It is uh, about... A group of uh, adopted, uh, you know, step siblings. Yes. It's not really step siblings. Correct. Not step, it's not step because that would mean by marriage. Right. But they are all adopted by the same guy because they were born under these mysterious circumstances that give them superpowers. And so it's about them. And they're like they're, misfit super exactly, people. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, check out The Umbrella Academy on Netflix. I feel like, yeah, I, I've only watched like three episodes and I didn't get hooked but I've heard that you got to get to like the fifth episode. That's Everyone, what I heard. Everyone's on the fifth episode. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm the same way. Right? Like I got to like the second and I'm just like, ah, this kind of sucks. Yeah. I was like, and I'm there and I'm like smoking a bowl and I'm like falling asleep <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I stay engaged. I'm yeah. not really engaged. And then I watch the third episode. I'm like, I'm still not engaged. It's like the, it's still, what's that? The, the, uh, the boys. No, the boys was really good. Um, the show was Steve Carell. 
on Netflix about the space station, oh, the space, space, space force. force. Yeah. <laughs> that one engaged me right away. Yeah. yeah. And I watched all of that. I can't wait till the second season. But the Umbrella Academy, and I didn't, and I hear great things about the second season. Yeah, I, I think it takes a few episodes before it gets to be a little bit like the boys in that, like, their flaws become part of the thing. Like, they're, yeah. they're not you totally... like, buy into the characters. Yeah, but they, they spend a lot of time sort of establishing exactly. the backstory. That's why I feel like there's a lot of characters, so you're just trying to, like, latch on to a couple of them. Yeah. And you're trying... So, for me, I guess I just got to keep watching. Yeah. So, what do you got? Oh, on me? Uh, I've been watching Dark... On Netflix, it's like this German uh, doc, not a docu series. It's, it's just like a drama series about time travel. It's super weird. It's like Inception meets Stranger Things meets Black Mirror. Well, wait, is it like a was this like a documentary? Or no, 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 no. It's it's a it's a drama series. Oh, okay, yeah, it's a show. It's all fictional. All right, so we're, yeah. no, we're not really traveling yeah. in time. Yeah, no, no, says no. you. It says yeah, says you know, me. That, I'm I'm in season two right now, so it's like pretty intense, and I feel like I'm gonna have to rewatch parts of it just to connect all the dots because time travel just fucks with you. Yeah. <laughs> what you got? <laughs> uh man. So, I'd like to recommend for the people in Miami to go visit our good friends in Maquilina that just opened on Friday. Uh, that reopened. Reopened. Yeah, it's a big deal. Maquilina is like a Miami cornerstone. Mike Perullo is a, a legend, and I think that everyone needs to go there and eat right away. Um, congratulations to Neven Patel for opening Mamey. This big spread in the New York Times. That was great. Congratulations on that. I recommend that. I haven't been, but I'm sure it's great. Um, I still recommend the movie I have not watched which was the man who killed Bigfoot or Hitler? <laughs> recommending it. Yeah, the man who killed uh, Hitler and then killed Bigfoot. Right? Isn't that what it's called? Uh, you're the one who's recommending. I'm it. I'm not sure, but, but I I feel like the movie is great. It's something it, like that, and I feel like it's probably uh, worth a watch. <laughs> and other than that, um, I I don't know. I don't have many other recommendations. Okay. I don't think. Uh, shameless plugs. So. Uh, David, we'll go in the same order, or right. I'll go last. More about follow, like where we can. Yeah, yeah, all your own stuff. Follow us on all the things. Yeah. Uh, you can follow my agency at Beyond the Agency. Uh, you can follow me at David J Verjano, V E R J A N O. That's about it. Yeah, I think that's it. Cool. And uh, what you got? Pig. All the pig things. Pig Inc. P I G I N C. That is my personal area at Miami. Stay tuned for. Uh, the release date of our September tastings. We already have a wait list of 15. We will only have 60 reservations available. Uh, get on that. As of right now, Chugs Diner only has another three weeks of until they close for renovations. So go check that out. Um, and stay tuned for Nave Miami is doing a crab shack. On the weekends. What does that mean? That's, you know, we're doing things. It's like fun. There's like uh, fried clams and there's lobster rolls and things. And you can get martinis on the patio and some other drinks and shit. No. Um, that's, I think those are all my things. Okay. Very good. Uh, and then I will plug all of the podcast and date things you can find. Step into the sandbox wherever you listen to podcasts on all of those things. Uh, 
If you're on the social media things, step into the Sandbox on Instagram, Sandbox Tweets on Twitter, uh, and then just look for Step Into the Sandbox on Facebook. Bangkong Podcast is Bangkong Podcast on all of the social media things. Again, you can find that wherever you listen to stuff. And finally, Dade uh, is where all of this stuff lives. That's dademag.com. You can support all of the above and more on Patreon at patreon.com slash dademag, D-A-D-E-M-A-G. You'll get some exclusive content. You can get stickers. You can get a, magnets. You can get a mug. Not magnets yet. But you can buy magnets if you don't want to commit to like a monthly thing. You can spend a dollar on a refrigerator magnet. Or but it can commit. be a magnet for anything with a screen you want to destroy. Uh, you can put that there. On all of your electronics that have <laughs> computer good. chips that you don't want anymore, you put a magnet on it. Uh, but yeah, patreon.com slash datamag. Uh, magnets for your refrigerator. You can travel with them and put them on refrigerators and hotels that you visit. Uh, so you're never far from a Bangkok podcast Smart microphone sandwich. Uh, we'll have Step Into the Sandbox magnets coming soon. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's all the stuff. Uh, and finally, I will. I know we referenced it earlier, but Chef Michael Beltran uh, agreed somehow to taste six different cans of seasoned black beans on camera. Uh, we did a blind tasting of canned black beans. Yes. Uh, it's been a hit so far. People are really into this. I think this is the most useful thing we've ever it's done. It's so absurd. It's, it's, it's the most absurd thing we've ever done, and I have to say that my what saddens me the most is how no one saw the production value of what was happening oh, around was me. Incredible. And how the light fixture on top of the cigar box had fell several times. One time. It fell one time. Several times before <laughs> Nick finally got it propped up to where it was supposed to be. I, well, I didn't put no, I gave up on that spot and I put it on a chair. Annoy me with all the excessive light. And then we found like the lukewarm beans that were uh, warmed up in a microwave 45 minutes before I actually tried them. And how Goya was last. Second to last. Second to last. Behind a, just ahead of Iberia. Iberia beans need to discontinue whatever the fuck things they're doing because they are fucking dreadful. And bush beans are making what white people think Cuban beans taste like. You know what's interesting <laughs> that I, I realized after the fact? Iberia is the only one of the six beans that notes on the can that it's made with sofrito. Oh, yeah. So I wonder if that's like a weird canned sofrito color. that it I don't know, but the color was weird and it was red and it was watery and it wasn't good. So there. So there's that. Like, I just, you know, like, I look back at the video and I think of the absurd situation we were in. I think we helped a lot of people. <laughs> we didn't help anyone. Of course we did. What we didn't is gain any sponsorships from any bean companies. There's a seventh bean company somewhere that wants to pay. For sure. We need to, to talk to, uh, to Rancho Craft Gordo beans. so they could send us some should midnight. I say, should I call Rancho Gordo? No, nah, man. Steve Sando would tell you to go fuck yourself because his <laughs> beans are exceptional and probably the, some of the best beans in the country. Okay. Nah, well, yeah, I mean, that's sponsors, what we use. Guys. That's what we use here. So okay. All right. So uh, that's it. That's all the things. Thank you for joining us. Please watch um, the Ivanka pose I make with the Goya beans. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I did a lot of screenshots. You're going to love these, David. So there's it's like still frames that I isolated of Mike between takes just looking unmistakably like he's like thinking of all the mistakes in his life that led him to that video. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and how far he had fallen during this time of coronavirus to yeah. be tasting beans in my living room on camera. This is my favorite thing of the my week. Fa- I think my favorite point of today was when Carlos Frias retweeted, look at what this James Beard semifinalist thought about these six canned black beans. And he All said right. he watched every second of it. Fuck me. A James Beard <laughs> award-winning food editor watched your bean video. Uh, exhausted. <laughs> I'm exhausted by the beans. All <laughs> right. That's it. Thanks, everybody. What's the next one? Croquettes, <laughs> tamales. See, on the one hand, you're talking shit, and then you're talking about what you're going to do next. No, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. <laughs> I'm trying to there get that, that Stetson Casio sponsorship. Yeah. I've already been in touch, by the way, with Pablo Zitzman. Oh, Pablo? Why? What does Pablo want to do? We don't know yet. I told him, like, you tell me what product category you want to dive into, and you come taste them in my living room. Oh, man. Pablo is a saint. He was he he seemed to like it, but he might also just be being nice. He's being nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.